Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with WFIU-WTIU personality Joe Wren. 2017 was one of the worst years for the retail industry. It saw record-setting bankruptcies and thousands of store closures. The steady decline of in-store traffic coupled with the rise of e-commerce has taken a toll on the nation's largest and oldest department stores. This week on Noon Edition, our panelists are going to discuss some major changes taking place within the retail industry. And you can join us on the program. You can uh, follow us. Uh, on Twitter at Noon Edition, our phone numbers are 812-855-0811 in Bloomington. And toll-free, you could call us at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And we have four guests who are joining us today. We have two in the studio. Both have small businesses here in Bloomington. Andy McManus is the owner of the Skirt and Satchel on the Square in downtown. And Steve Smith is the owner of Smith Shoes Center on the south side of Bloomington. We also have joining us uh, by phone Les Morris, the director of public relations at Simon Property Group in Indianapolis, and Michael Hicks, a professor of economics at Ball State University in Muncie. Well, thank you all for being here with us today. Good to be with you. Thanks. Well, I, Michael Hicks, I want to start with you and just ask, uh, you know, to give us sort of the big picture view of of uh, what's going on in the retail industry. Well, um, I don't like the word apocalypse. Uh, you know, retail uh, trade in the U.S. is about $400 billion a month, $5 trillion a year, about 25% of the U.S. economy. It employs about 15 million workers. Um, and uh, it has been growing. People continue to buy retail uh, goods, but the type of things that they buy and from whom they buy it from have shifted in recent years. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And that has led to the closure of some big stores, uh, maybe a lot of attention to it. And I think probably, uh, I think the, the sense that there's an apocalypse is that many of the closures seem to be very geographically located in places that are also facing challenges in terms of uh, other types of economic activity, so mall closings and store closings as well. So, uh, And all this is under the background of e-commerce and uh, some shift that's maybe not as fast as everybody thinks, but it's certainly out there and playing a role in retail trade. Les Morris from uh, Simon Property Group, I mean, what, what are you seeing out there? Bob, uh, we're in a, a fortunate position, uh, not with any luck involved, but very consciously we have um, continued to own and manage and lease the best retail properties in the best markets. And uh, you know, College Mall is an example in Bloomington with a long history since the mid-60s and uh, a uh, property that has uh, attracted many new businesses just in the last year or so. We've added about 75,000 square feet of new retail, and uh, on a macro level, uh, the the company is spending a uh, billion dollars a year. We spent a billion dollars in 17 and project the same amount in 18 for development projects around the portfolio. So, and our occupancy uh, rate uh, for our malls and premium outlets, uh, which we disclose every quarter in the fourth quarter, was 95.6%. So I, I think that would surprise many people. I, I echo uh, Michael's comment that uh, the apocalypse uh, term is, is way overdone and, and not at all relevant to what we're seeing. Okay. Well, we have two uh, small business uh, owners here in the studio with us. So Steve Smith and Andy McManus. We'll start with uh, with Andy. So Andy, you have a new business, right, down on the square? 
Yeah, Skirt and Satchel. Uh, our grand opening was just a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, but it's not my first retail business. Right. So uh, in your uh, history in retail, I mean, how how things changed and why did you feel like, uh, you know what, things aren't, aren't bad. I think I want to open this store. I think a lot of what we see is a shift in the industry and a shift in the consumer. There's a lot of smarter consumers out there who are looking for something different. And when the economy started going south, you know, 10 years ago, they, um, a lot of the big retailers took out huge loans to keep themselves afloat during the recession and use that money instead of changing and growing with what the consumers want. They were just doing things the way that they were and using borrowed money to do it. And that's why we're seeing a bit of a delay in some of these bigger businesses going under because they haven't shifted. People are looking for made in U.S. They're looking for an experience. Um, and at College Mall, the the additional um, places that have moved in there aren't necessarily traditional retailers, but places on experience mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so if I can compete on the experience, also omnichannel, people can buy our clothes online, pick them up in store. Uh, they can buy them in store and have me ship them home if they're here visiting and being smart with that. Mm-hmm. But 90, more than 90% of purchases are still happening in brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. So, Steve? I echo what the panel has said, and I, I apocalypse seems very strong. You know, we're seeing what the market has done the last week, and we call it a correction. And I think that term is probably a little bit more in play. And, and for someone that's been in the shoe business for 40-plus years now, um, you see a cyclical market, and history repeats itself, and we get too big, and we need to size correct. And I think that's what we're seeing the market do now, um, echoing Andy as well. Uh, it's even more important with the brick and mortar to uh, make sure that customer experience is um, everything that it needs to be and, and certainly differentiate it from the online because the online is pretty sterile. It's It's very, very convenient so long as what you have ordered fits and you don't need to send it back. Um, you know, we'll have people come in our shop and try on six, eight, ten pairs of shoes and pick two. And if you do that online, that gets to be a little bit of a hassle to, um, you know, there's there's a lot of shoes being sold online. Our industry tells us half of everything purchased online gets sent back exactly for that reason. Mm-hmm. So you've been... 40 years with uh, the company, what have, and I, know I we were just talking before the show, 10 years in your current location doesn't seem like that long. I remember you and you were in the mall. What are some of the things you've learned over that, over that time in terms of having to adjust? I, the common thread is you always need to be changing and moving and being what your customers want to be, and, and our customers have, have changed. And I'm sure uh, you look at the demographics and all the studies that Simon has for college um, in a short period of time of 10 years of us being, um, us and Sears were the only two original tenants left mm. when we moved, and we know what happened to Sears in that property. Um, our demographic has changed dramatically, and some of that is with online, too. And, and again, to echo Michael, uh, the majority of that business is being done in brick and border. Uh, the online is what's getting the news and, and has the glitter sprinkled on it. But uh, I, I believe Walmart still does about five times the revenue as what Amazon does. and. I think if you were to ask the general public about that, they would say Amazon is a monster and kicking everyone's butt. They are online, um, but not necessarily against the brick and mortar. So, Michael, you've heard uh, heard our, our retailers in here. I mean, any reaction to what they've said? I mean, they, they seem to, you know, they're they're on the front lines. They're they're doing the best they can do uh, and making the adjustments they need to make for their businesses are, you know, are they on the right track? What what other things would you suggest they need to be looking at? Well, I surely wouldn't give anybody who's been in business 40 years any business advice. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think they're absolutely right in the sense that 
American consumers continue to buy in brick-and-mortar stores. And, you know, with all the e-commerce explosion that we think we see, it's really growing by about three-tenths of a percent a year. And um, I don't know what the cap of it is. Uh, Indeed, what Walmart is finding is that there's a fabulous opportunity in having a brick-and-mortar store and providing an opportunity for returns. And so the availability, and the example is when uh, my wife would buy clothes for my uh, then middle school boys, um, uh, she would buy, she didn't know what size they were going to be, right? Um, There's no way to know in six weeks what size the middle school boy might be. So she'd buy two of them. And then the next time we ran off to Walmart, she'd buy two online. We'd try them on at home. And the next time she went to get milk at the local Walmart, she would just return them. So um, Amazon is actually playing with some of these return centers and larger, you know, major retail centers. Uh, but, you know, the observation I have is that for, you know, Bloomington's a different place than much of the country for, for good and ill. And so stores like you've heard about here, boutique's not the right word for, but their customer experience when you have a very large uh, foot audience there is going to be different and successful always. That differs from people who are, you know, shopping at Walmart, or at least those experiences, the same people. Most people shop at Walmart uh, rather frequently. And so, uh, you know, I think that there are going to be changes in some of the malls, but I think it's more, when you see an empty mall, it tends to be around a place that's declining in population, in GDP, in uh, earning capacity of households there. So, you know, if you go to uh, retail centers in parts of Muncie, you know, Terre Haute, you're going to get very different experiences than you're going to get in, uh, you know, downtown Kokomo, downtown Indianapolis, you know, downtown Bloomington, which are all doing fairly well. You know, I hear a common theme in the first 10 minutes of of everyone ch- chiming in. Bob, I don't know how you shop, but I do like that experience when I when I go out. It's not just to get a pair of shoes or a bag, or it's about going out and and doing something. So, is is that part of the um, strategy? And how is that changing uh, recently? Maybe compared to 10 years ago. I don't I don't know about all you guys, but if. A lot of the big majors have cut down on the amount of inventory that they carry in the store, and, and they've gone to more central um, DCs distribution centers, and, and that way they can certainly limit uh, how much inventory they have. We all we always joke in the shoe business: we have two kinds of shoes. We have ones we have too many of, and we have ones we don't have enough of. And there's no way to tell when you're buying six, eight months out in front of it, what that trend is going to be. And just because it was good one year doesn't mean it's going to be good the next season or vice versa. Um, it it gets to be overwhelming. And sometimes um, I, I read a staggering number. And from Thanksgiving until Christmas, the packages that were shipped, 89%, 89% was Amazon of those packages shipped. I, I mean, you want to talk about the dominant player online, but I was talking, it kind of all looks the same online. You know, if, if you pull up and there's a hundred pictures of shoes, um, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. It's hard to sort through it. And it, it's just so, I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to try it on, whether it's clothes, whether it's shoes, whether it's a pressure washer. I, I mean, I don't know if this thing is um, five foot or whether it's like a 50-foot that I'm not going to be able to have room for in my garage. Um, Andy, do you feel that that experience is important? Yeah, I feel like um, the experience, especially with things like I do apparel and accessories and he's doing shoes, those are things that trying on, feeling, figuring out your size, people are always going to want to do that. Um, And I think that the experience of small business and people wanting to spend their dollars smarter when someone buys something from Amazon, that money doesn't really go back into the community. But here, you know, someone spends money at my store that's supporting three employees who make a living wage, um, that's supporting all the designers. When you come in, you can see who actually made the items that you're purchasing. And a lot of people are wanting to ship their dollars that way. But there will be things online where, you know, if you buy the same brand of shampoo every single time, you might be able to get a better deal by buying it online and having it delivered to your door. So. 
I think it really is that omni-channel, that experience. They're not going to have one customer who shops 100% online or 100% brick and mortar. And I think that's what people aren't realizing when they're talking about this retail apocalypse. They're thinking their customers are leaving them, but you're really driving them away by focusing on that. It's a scapegoat for a lot of people. Oh, things are going bad because people are shopping online. Well, you know, get either get in on that or differentiate yourself a little bit more. We want, we want you to. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll get back to you, Joe, mm-hmm. no, in, in just a second. Yeah. But I, I want to give our uh, numbers again: eight one two eight five five zero eight one one here in Bloomington, or toll free at one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. You can also send us questions for the show: news at indianapublicmedia.org. Now, Joe. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I wanted less a chance to chime in too with Simon Malls because, and I could be wrong, but I feel like there, there's more going on at the mall now than there has been in the past too, just in terms of, of activities. And is that, I mean, I assume that's just part of that experience too, right? Yes, uh, no question about it. I mean, you look at, at some of the retailers we've added, Orange Theory Fitness, Anytime Fitness, Think Geek, um, uh, you know, these are non-traditional, if you will, uh, stores at the mall, uh, restaurants, are prominent as well. BJ's, Red Robin, Panera Bread, Azip Pizza, all fairly new. Um, the percentage of apparel-based stores in our malls is declining uh, a little bit, and we are adding these uh, other uses as well as uh, mixed uses in many properties, uh, hotel, residential, office. And another trend that I would comment on is that we're seeing traditional e-tailers, if that, that may be an oxymoron right there, but uh, internet retailers are st- opening brick-and-mortar stores with us. So you have Bonobos, uh, Shinola, Untucket, the, uh, the, the brand that uh, makes shirts and blouses to be worn uh, outside your pants. There, you can walk around some of our malls now and see all those stores, and they're expanding their their brick and mortar presence because it expands their brand. There, as an example, Untucket is in a couple of our malls, including King of Prussia outside of Philadelphia, which has over two million square feet of of retail space and gets millions of people a year to walk walk around and uh, you know go by that store so it really expands their brand in a way that uh, isn't possible without the physical presence well Joe you know you asked me you know where I shop and I, I just I just want to mention this and I and I'd really like to hear uh, Michael's Michael Hicks's um, response to this because he might I think you might have some history you can share but um, See, I grew up in a retail family. I mean, I'm much like Steve Smith. I grew up in a retail family, and it was on a square in, in downtown Winchester, Indiana, you know, Courthouse Square. And But my father had to basically go out of business. I mean, it was, it was at a time when people were fleeing small-town retail for the malls. I mean, the, the, the giant Muncie Mall – uh, put out retailers in little Winchester, Indiana. And now it seems to me that people are going back to those smaller towns in some ways. But the, I guess the question or the reaction I want, Michael, is, is you know, back at that time when, you know, there were in the 60s, 70s, there were a lot of small towns that basically dried up because all the retailers were going into central locations, into malls. How similar is what's ha- what we're seeing now um, how similar is it to sort of what happened at that time? Well, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's very similar. I think the characterization of the, the death of the small towns is surely right, and that's continued as the challenge. But the chain stores popped up in the early 1900s, so then um, that is an interesting history. I mean, Walmart has about 5,000 stores in the U.S., at its peak, A&P grocery stores had 14,000, and uh, I think a U.S. cigar company had like 9,000 outlets in the U.S. And so even the, these things that we think are just, you know, have chomped retail to pieces, that retail was already dead. Walmart is exact. Walmart, Target, and Kmart were all born in the summer of 62, the same year I was. And, same. And one of them is dead, <laughs> dead as a doornail. They just haven't taking it off life support. Target, Walmart are still around. That That's an extensive lifespan for those stores. What's surprising to Walmart that it's still around after the death of its founder? 
um, it, because it, and it's changing to a grocery store to a which is really what it is now with with uh, commerce e-commerce uh, activities going on around it. Um, but the certainly places like Winchester or Hartford City, smaller towns in Indiana are really struggling in terms of population loss. So Bloomington, West Lafayette are, are bubbles, right, for obvious reasons. But most of the rest of towns outside the size of Indianapolis are, are facing huge population declines. And there has been overbuilding in, in retail facilities. I don't know. And this is impacting stock prices for Simon and, and other stores as well. But I, what I think now there there is some natural ceiling to e-commerce, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's 25% of retail or 50% of retail, but naturally, you you know, people want to try on clothes. They they want to go to a restaurant to eat. They probably want to go to grocery stores to buy food. There may be some adjustments to it that we haven't patterned on, but I think it would be crazy to dismiss the notion that consumers aren't going to get more sophisticated, that uh, retailers aren't going to get more sophisticated. I've been looking at the online presence of uh, Skirt and Satchel, right? That's a pretty sophisticated e-commerce site. Um, and, and I think if, if oh, as time matures, we're going to see changes to this, but that's just part of the character of retail, not uh, an apocalypse. All right, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition, and we're talking about uh, what's going on in the retail industry. A, a lot of this is precipitated by uh, closures that we've seen, some high-profile closures, but we guarantee you retail is not dead. We're, we're, uh, we're talking about how all the good things that are going on with it as well. Uh, we'll be right back. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about retailing today with uh, four guests in the studio. We have Andy McManus, owner of Skirt and Satchel on the Square in Bloomington, Steve Smith, the owner of Smith's Shoe Center in Bloomington, and Les Morris is joining us by phone. He's the director of public relations at Simon Property Group in Indianapolis. And joining us by phone also is Michael Hicks, professor of economics at Ball State University in Muncie. You can join us by calling 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Les Morris, uh, it seems to me that uh, malls have been sort of transforming in the last decade or so, maybe longer, um, from... You know, the, the, the original idea was you've got all these stores inside and people can just go inside and walk around. And it seems to me that malls now are trying to have sort of the best of both worlds where you have outdoor entries, um, some have you know, a lot of landscaping, those kind of things. Can you talk about that transformation? Am I, am I recognizing something that's been happening? Yes, you are, Bob. There's no question about it. Uh, we own now the first mall in in the united states southdale mall up in edina minnesota a suburb of minneapolis it was 
uh, built in 1957, and uh, uh, the you know you you walk through it today, and and it's so different than the pictures I've seen when it opened. But you're right, you you've got landscaping is uh, is is much better. Um, you t- look at the evolution of the food offerings in in, in our centers, and you know the uh, term food court had. A, a pejorative notion to it. We've now rebranded many of those into dining pavilions with nicer chairs, better lighting, better amenities, uh, plug-ins for electrical devices, better tenants, uh, healthier food options, local food options. Uh, a good example would be, for your listeners familiar with the Fashion Mall at Keystone in Indianapolis, how we've uh, redone that food area. So uh, there's no question about it, and, and also we've seen in our premium outlets products, the the newer ones uh, just have a level of sophistication and uh, emphasis on, on local elements that we you wouldn't have seen 10 or 15 years ago. So there's no question that uh, you're you're right on the mark on that. Well, I, I do know that I've eaten at Shapiro's in your in your food court in Fashion Mall, which is would have been unheard of years ago. Mm. Yes, that, that's right. And uh, I've eaten there more than a few times. <laughs> I, I just wanted to touch upon um, or address the what happens to these big box stores. And when we talk about Carson's in Columbus or Kmart in Bloomington or Macy's in, in Terre Haute, these are, these are mammoth uh, store, what they call anchors, I believe, on, on corners. And I did have a chance to talk to Terre Haute Mayor Duke Bennett about this in Terre Haute. And he said when he got the letter from New York City from Macy's saying, we are closing your store, at the bottom it said, shop Macy's online. So it's, you know, but just a quick kind of aside how, you know, how much it, they're just kind of, yeah, please keep shopping online. But um, I, I really wanted to, to address those, what happens to those big, the big is there a strategy for when they, they move out or a, anyone's opinion is, is welcome here? Well, let me get just give an economist shot. You know, one of the big challenges for communities is that these ghost boxes drop in property values and so um, that poses two problems. One is that, you know, there's just this empty eyesore that affects other properties. But you know, many of these communities have incentivized, uh, surprisingly, uh, retail, and that leads to you know, oftentimes a real fiscal crisis is that bond payments rely upon tax revenues. And so I think that's been circuiting through both the courts and the legislature in Indiana, the the dark box tax issue, but you know, generally, I think we're going to see these. Some of them will be reused for interesting purposes, retail. Um, there are, I've seen Walmart stores have been reused as healthcare facilities because they're flexible, large. They've got great parking and that sort of thing. Mm. But um, it's part of the natural turbulence that I think that we didn't see before when retail was downtown. Yeah, when something goes out of business downtown, you know, you have that infill, but there's actually really fascinating, beautiful photos all over the internet about malls, empty malls, and seeing them grown over. And there's from all over the world, not just here in the U.S., um, some really cool things to look at. But it was interesting to think about, um, I lived in San Francisco for a while, and, you know, there, if there was a mall that went out, it would be immediately infilled. But with this urban sprawl where people are building things further and further out in different areas. Um, the backfill isn't happening as fast here, you know, mm-hmm. in the Midwest or, you know, areas like that as they are in really population-dense areas. Um, side note, too, I went to Japan, and the malls there are, it's like a trend that's happening a little later than it happened here, and it's insane to see what maybe our malls look like in the 80s. I wasn't around then. <laughs> um, but it was really cool to see that kind of bustling and crowded and just full of new stores and so it's kind of cool maybe to look there for inspiration of what's going on that we could tap into Mm -hmm. with the experience and I think what you're talking about with bringing in different types of businesses and doing different things for experience is definitely helpful for malls but then you have the um, if you're filling any apparel retailer that closes with a restaurant next thing you know the mall is going to turn into a you know restaurant center and then you're going to have a different kind of um, apocalypse on your hands when people start cooking at home again. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to follow up on Joe's question a little bit because I think there's a, a little bit of a difference between like the when a Kmart store goes out and when an anchor at the on the in a mall that's actually attached to a mall goes out like mm-hmm. Sears did. So you know, Les, could you talk about you know that phenomenon? I think you've done um, a remarkable job when different anchors have gone out in you know college mall. You figured out a way to fill them or add a new anchor. Um, we, we believe that's a, a great opportunity for us because the the decision to to leave was a, a corporate decision that you know the business wasn't going as the company intended, and uh, we we feel that because we have great retail real estate and and we're a location where uh, other stores want to be, uh, you know, it gives us an opportunity to be creative and and either put in lifestyle elements, other retailers, restaurants, experiential tenants. Um, I would say that I think it all goes back to quality retail real estate and having the best locations and the best markets. Uh, We have about 430 anchor positions uh, in our portfolio, and I think two are empty at this point. So that gives you a sense of, Mm. you know, just uh, I think people are surprised at that. And and in Indianapolis, Bonton uh, <clears throat> announced that they were going to close, in a, a corporate uh, statement, uh, about 47 stores, one of which is the Carsons uh, in, at Circle Center. And um, we're excited to get that space back and uh, be creative and establish new uses that ultimately will be better for the customer. Um, Steve Smith, you, you sort of have you wear a number of hats in various ways, but you are an owner of a shopping center as well a shopping stri- a strip center, as well as uh, a retailer who's in it. And I know that it wasn't that long ago, what maybe a year or two ago, that you took part of the footprint of your store and divided it and put another retailer in it. Could you talk about the you know that dynamic of owning that that piece of real estate and trying to keep it filled with the right kind of customers? A very common theme that all of us have talked about is, and and it's really inevitable, is change, and change on a bunch of different levels. Um, You know, my my dad was one of the original tenants that I had said um, when College Mall was built in 65, and and we certainly saw a lot of change um, from that original footprint to adding on, to adding on, to people leaving, having parts of it be dormant and vacant, which, um, you know, the mall does a lot and it attracts a lot of people and it it puts a lot of people at your front door. And and I think I need to be a better merchant now than what I was at the mall because I got a lot of a lot of people just coming to me because I was in the mall. And and you also pay for that privilege of the mall bringing people to your door. we, uh, uh, unlike what you see right now, um, a lot of people mistook us for a national because we were an oddball. We were 13,000 square feet in a regional center, and no one knew what to think because that just didn't happen. Um, when, when we left there, uh, we did buy a strip center, and one of my main things that I wanted to do, um, and and Again, I'm going to repeat, it wasn't broken over the years um, at, at College Mall, but each 10 years or whatever length of lease I signed, um, we needed to re-up and do a new lease and do new leasehold improvements and new build-out, new capital. And at the end of that lease, um, I went in there with exactly what I started, which was nothing. So I really wanted to be able to start another business um, along with the shoe business and something that I could um, build equity in and and have. And and certainly, I don't know that Big Brother, the the Simons, is a bad model. And and I'm sure I'll get corrected on this if it's wrong, but I, I think they are the single largest holder of retail square footage in the world. And um, that... That's not a bad model to try and mimic at, you know, even the, the smallest splinter. Um, we found that we really needed to 
focus on what our most important part of our business is, and I think that's what's really going on and really who our customer is. And, and one of the hardest things for me was I tried to be so much for so many people, and I really need to figure out what was most important and what gave us the best chance to move forward. And we shrunk and we got rid of a lot of segments of our business that really weren't making a lot of sense for our bottom line. And we've managed to um, do business, actually increase business in half the square footage with the shoe store hat on and then turn around with the real estate hat on and lease the other square footage that I was paying myself for and make another tenant. They were in a smaller space. They wanted to expand. They moved down. They're happy. Their business is growing. Um, It it just made sense all the way around. Mm -hmm. I think it's smart hearing you say, too, that sometimes what's best for your business is to scale down and refocus and being able to do that and not see it as something's wrong, but something's right and focusing on what's right. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really smart move. And I think that's something that, you know, Simon did with when Sears went out, instead of trying to replace it with a new Sears, they changed, you know, changed a little bit to adapt to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with Sears, it was a lot of notice. I think when, when did you guys start planning that renovation? It was way before Sears closed. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're, we keep a close eye on on all the stores, their credit, how they're doing. So uh, mm-hmm. we're we're not caught flat-footed when an announcement's made that someone's gone out. Absolutely, like if when Sears did close their doors, if that would have been unexpected and happened all of a sudden, it would be a few years for us to be able to see something like what they were able to do. Mm -hmm. All right. Our phone numbers, uh, again, if you want to join our conversation on the retail industry, uh, call us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send questions to the show, news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Um, Michael Hicks, I wanted to ask you about about jobs in retailing. How how have those statistics changed? Well, there's been um, fairly consistent job growth over the past 50 years in retail. It's flattened a bit um, since the Great Recession, but it certainly um, remains an industry where there's a uh, that allows entrance across a wide variety of skill sets and allows. Uh, upward mobility for workers. Uh, I mean, and that is different than, you know, the industry that I'm in, for example, uh, and many others. So it remains a place where, um, you know, you could get a job as a teen in the summer, make a few bucks, or you could open your own store, and there's a pathway between the two of them. And so I think that remains important. It's geographically distributed, of course, so there's retail jobs everywhere. Um, and so that also remains, you know, one of the benefits of it. So I think as an economist, when people laugh at, you know, uh, service sector jobs or those sorts of things, you want to point out really, you know, retail is an important part of economic activity in you know, virtually every region of the U.S. The, the bigger problem, and uh, you know, that I think about this and your I love listening to three successful business leaders talking about this is that if you don't change, if you don't adapt, if you don't, um, you know, make some adjustment to the business model over time, then what is really just a small blip, a a predictable event like e-commerce looks like an apocalypse when, in fact, it's something as simple as the widespread use of the mail system that allowed Sears to explode between 1900 and 1930. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a little bit more about the about the jobs that, that you guys provide, uh, and that's another another hat that you have to wear, Steve, as a you know as a person who provides jobs and supervises people and whatnot. So I I feel very grateful. Our core nucleus. I have I have three people that um, have been with me 20 plus years. Um, that brings a wealth of wisdom, product knowledge uh, to our store for our guests, our customers. Um, it is truly a family business. What we're seeing in in our little snippet of the shoe world is the independents, the ones that have been able to weather the storm and change our generational 
businesses. If someone were to come to me today and say, hey, I have some money and I want to open a retail store, I would do everything I could to knock them down and, and keep them from doing that. But you get it in your blood. And, and um, there's, there's some of us out here that I think belong to a unique community and support each other and have that support from the communities that we work in and and are part of the community and and that was touched on and um, what I like is I do get to wear a lot of hats and and over the years I've been a little bit of a serial entrepreneur and it it gets in your blood and Mm. and I enjoy the HR hat and I enjoy the real estate hat and I enjoy the shoe and I, I like being a buyer and I like the marketing and um, doing that side of it and what works and what doesn't. And it, it's just a total science experiment all the time. Mm-hmm. So I guess Andy didn't come and ask you for your advice. Or, um, or if she did, she ignored you. Right? Um, and, and she's a glutton for punishment. She's part of that unique community, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve, if, if someone comes to you, would you uh, send them over to me? I can hook them up with a leasing agent. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I have a team of three, and they are just amazing. And I wanted to hire people that were really good in the areas that I wasn't great in. Um, This year, I'll be raising our minimum wage to 15. I think it's important to pay a living wage. And I think that's, you know, part of what we're seeing, too, is big retailers like Walmart are, um, they're paying minimum wage. They're double dipping. They're getting all those extra government benefits. A majority of their workers are at least a large portion of their workers are on, you know, have work full time and still qualify for food stamps. And so as a local retailer, doing what we can to make sure that we're providing a better quality of life for our for our staff and for our customers and being there for them in that way, um, I think is important. And I think people see that when they come in and we have a skilled team of people who are good at what they do, not just people who are checked out and clocking in, clocking out and getting by. You know, a lot of people do come these days. I don't know if complaints is the right word, but there are a lot of concerns I hear among businesses that they have trouble finding people to come to work, that mm-hmm. that the the job force is maybe not as strong in Indiana or in our part of Indiana as as it might be. And I guess I'm, I'm asking for all four of you if, if you find that. When you have openings, do you have trouble finding people to come to work? I think just finding someone to come to work is not so much the problem, but finding the person that wants to work um, and is a quality individual and cares and has a strong belief in customer service and wants to learn. And and I take growing up in the shoe business and, and all that amount of time that I've been in it and think about that knowledge and what it takes to move forward in the business, um, it it takes people, people think, well, I can go sell shoes because I like shoes or I like Jordans or, and, and I think they're cool. And we go through an extensive training where people don't ever touch the sales floor for weeks at a time because we're just going through the process and how we like to treat people. And and take care of them and product knowledge and training sites to learn materials and construction. I feel very grateful that a lot of the podiatrists in town and orthopedic guys and physical therapists, et cetera, um, as they have people that have problems, uh, send them in. And, And we had touched on how the demographic has changed dramatically from where we left the mall and and when we were at the mall we had a ton of student business and we had a lot of out of town people and now what we have is people from our community and mm-hmm. referral business and partnerships with some of the biggest businesses that we have here in town that um, trust us with their people to take care of them whether it's with black non-slip footwear for um, hospitality or medical or manufacturing um, and and it's just again it, it's right back to that change word yeah Les do you, do you hear from people in uh, who are in the Simon properties that they are having trouble finding you know a, a competent or a good solid workforce no I, I don't hear that uh, 
my only frame of reference is when we're redeveloping or developing from the ground up a, a new property, which we, we've done, uh, especially with our premium outlet product, uh, in the past several years. And uh, we're aggressive in that we always now, as part of our opening cadence, uh, plug in a job fair at a local community college or some uh, public space and uh, invite the media to come and publicize it and uh, work with our tenants who are going to open because uh, that's really important. And those job fairs are very well attended. Um, and we always, you know, are, are very uh, uh, grateful to in, our, in the local economies to provide construction jobs when we're building expansions or building a new development. Uh, we opened last year Norfolk Premium Outlets in Virginia, and we estimated we provided 300 to 500 construction jobs, 800 to 1,000 uh, retail jobs, both full and part-time. And then you, you add to that the property and sales taxes that that property generates. So uh, it's a big economic impact. Hey, before we go, I'll let Bob wrap us up here, but I just wanted to get anyone's uh, final take here on just what's next in the retail. What What's the next big thing? What are you looking to do next, right? Because it's always changing. It's always, things are always happening. Uh, my easy answer <laughs> on that is if my crystal ball was clearer, um, I, I probably wouldn't have a seat on this panel, I'd probably be at a beach with a drink with a little umbrella in it, <laughs> sipping it somewhere. And even though it's it's a wonderful 50-degree day is what's expected today, I'm, I'm thinking something a bit warmer. <laughs> I think that, you know, things in retail are changing. Um, and I think specifically in Bloomington, we have a lot of businesses that are ga- catered to college students and a lot that are catered towards retirees and not a lot in between. So I think really um, addressing the needs of the young professional market is huge, um, and that's part of why I picked Bloomington for Skirt and Satchel, because it makes it makes sense. But I also think omnichannel, um, participating in the experience, carrying higher, bringing back the quality in what people are buying, um, and I think that's going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear Les and Michael, too, kind of chime in if you have something. Well, yeah, this is Mike. So I, I, I think that... Uh, most retailers are going to adapt in a way that allows them to have access to the e-commerce market and maintain some sort of retail presence so they can judge how good their products are so they can you know sustain uh, sales in locations like Bloomington or Muncie or elsewhere but you know in the big picture uh, e-commerce is going to get bigger we're going to have malls for a long time. We're going to have big grocery stores, and they're just going to move to where people are. And retail is going to continue to be uh, a big chunk of what Americans spend money on. And I think the rest of the world is going to get more like us rather than the other way around. And I think from the shopping center perspective, you're going to continue to see an emphasis on mixed use and uh, live, work, shop, play, and. Uh, uh, more varied uh, experiential offerings at shopping centers. I want to follow up on that question, Les, with you because you know Simon Properties has, you know, you have big um, facilities both in major downtown areas and in more suburban areas. And could you can you talk about that dynamic and you know what goes into, you know, how different are those kind of um, properties for you? very different and we're, we're talking about that uh, as recently as yesterday we had a meeting about Circle Center and you know the business at Circle Center in downtown Indianapolis is comprised of office workers uh, a very a booming and, and, and constantly increasing downtown population of residents uh, we have so many new apartments and condos going up here our tourism trade and our convention trade is is uh, booming as well uh more of more conventions more visitors uh more flights into indianapolis so that shopping experience is quite a bit different than a regional mall uh in bloomington or castleton or wherever it might be across the country um so definitely it's a it's a different experience and 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 uh you have different different needs to fulfill fulfill what you want to do. You talked about mixed use 
before in the, the live work shop model does this mean that like uh, Simon properties might build everything in one location um, we so far we've we have let the professionals in their uh, business build what they do so if we have an office uh, building in our shopping center lot we let an office builder build that we've done the same with residential uh, but I think increasingly uh, we're going to be doing it ourselves mm-hmm. and I might just add my, my last comment on this is that the Indianapolis Star which used to own a building in downtown Indianapolis is now many people might not know is now in Circle Center Mall mm-hmm. right right so a lot of different and there's a I know the Minneapolis Star Tribune is in a big shopping area downtown or a big business uh, a big uh, re- I don't know if it's a retail building or not, but in a just an office building in downtown as opposed to its own standalone place. So a lot of different, a lot of things are changing. Yes, we just uh, one of our properties uh, your listeners might be familiar with is Gurney Mills in between Chicago and Milwaukee, and uh, four radio stations, a conglomerate of four stations, is going to relocate and, and operate from the mall. So we see evidence of that happening elsewhere too. All right, we are out of time. I want to thank all four of our guests, Andy McManus and Steve Smith, who are here in the studio with us, as well as Les Morris and Michael Hicks, who joined us by phone today. For Joe Wren and Andy. Angela Batista, who's our producer, and Mike Pashkash, our engineer. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.